0: What's the exciting news of today? You don't well, know? Well, Epicor is uh, releasing. <laughs> <laughs> God, All right,
1: it. starting it over. I'll <laughs> announce it. Just stop this thing. <laughs>
0: Jose and Josh, how are you guys today? Doing great. Epic. How are you, buddy? I'm good. You should be more excited. The new version of, of Kinetic is dropping today. What? Oh my god. Yeah. What? What <laughs> ah, version are we have to?
1: Twenty twenty two. two two. Yeah. Two. Or eleven yeah. two dot, Yeah. Good three. luck. Uh, I've lost track. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah don't, don't. We don't
2: talk about that version number. Oh. It's just only, not, the latest only and greatest. We the marketing <laughs>
1: version. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> So what are we looking Got at it in it. this one?
2: So there's, there's quite a few of, uh, new features in there. We've been looking at it through the CR program. Um, Josh, you've been on it too, we have been also. And uh, we're pretty excited about some of the features they have in there. My favorite so far is the ability to copy subqueries on a BAQ. That's something that we've been asking for God knows how long now.
1: Um, and it's so we dear, finally- It's dear to that. your heart. It is. The, it is. After you I recently many you just built it. <laughs>
2: Well, we weren't supposed to talk about that, but yeah, recently, cat's out of the bag now. I may have built a function, an Epicor function, to do the same thing because I got sick and tired of having to recreate the same Good things come to those
1: who wait, Jose.
2: (laughs) Maybe I'll start building. uh, What what should I build next? Maybe we can uh, catch up here.
0: You know what? Maybe there's a coincidence. Every time Jose creates one of these tools for us, it ends up in Epicor. So something funny (laughs) happening here. Maybe they
2: have spies in here. You
1: moonlighting? No, I think moonlighting. That's
2: moonlighting. The... Yes. No. We should, I don't... We're gonna
1: start some rumors, Brian. Let's start. I
2: have enough rumors. side jobs already. I don't have enough bandwidth for that.
0: <laughs> I don't know. He wrote some code for uh, fixing some PCID thing that's not in there yet. So apparently, they're not stealing all of us code yet.
1: <laughs> oh no, he didn't write the whipping PCID because that's coming.
0: I know that uh, one's coming.
1: That wasn't one of yours, was it?
0: Oh, no. no. No,
2: that was one of mine. But I am excited about that. We use PCID pretty heavily. So, yes, we do. having the ability to use PCIDs through the manufacturing process, I think would be a great uh, addition to our to our toolbox. Um, and now you can track transaction history on WIP. I know that's something that you've been looking forward to, Josh, for years. Uh, so now you can look at where your WIP has been, where is it going? It's, uh, it's a risky Personal vendor
1: really nice against WIP.
2: That's right. Well, <laughs> Things are getting fixed. You just got to wait a little bit. That's right. It's all right. Another interesting, you know, collaborate in the mobile browser. I know
1: we're all excited about that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. You're supposed to, yes. Uh Yeah, no, cool. (laughs) Hey, you know, Um, in the end, it might be, so so it might be one of those (laughs) things that as it gets off the ground further, we discover what we're missing out of it because right Mm -hmm. now I still don't really understand how how I would use that over something like teams or slack or any other collaboration platform but as it i think it matures there might be a little bit more value yeah, i mean, I there. think the,
2: the integration aspects of it are nice to be able to talk about an order and have that order referenced and linked linkable and live um yeah. but with things like automation studio you can do that anywhere right so it's one of the things it's just another product that you have to try and integrate into your into your life but it definitely has its uses um, and I know Thomas on your side is probably excited about being able to finally authenticate those emails with the email server setting maintenance.
1: Yep. No more That's relay been, docker.
2: <laughs> no more relays. That's right.
1: Yeah, I think he's got a couple of posts out there on describing how you how you wrangle that kitten. <laughs>
2: yep. yep. So those are a few of the highlights on 2022.2. So we're excited about that version coming out. A bunch of enhancements on Kinetic UI too. Um, they gave you uh, a little wizard on App Studio to create single page apps. That's really cool. For um, sure,
1: some quality of life enhancements
0: this round. Yeah,
1: a little bit more polish. Yeah.
0: One you They're missed really... uh, that I was looking forward to is inventory by revision, something we talked about a while oh, back. Yeah. yeah, pretty interesting. I mean, I've done a lot of cycle counting and helped a lot of my consulting days, helped a lot of people with cycle counting and revision control and inventory was a big thing. So, uh, probably a lot of aerospace customers happy for that.
1: Yeah, if I recall correctly, too, from controlled release, there's a whole mess of stuff related to process manufacturing and recipes that they've added in, in this release, too. Um, I We don't do any of that, but I think I think that has come up in topic that they were pushing on that a little bit more, too.
2: Yeah, I think that process manufacturing is something they're working on. I'm not sure if they put it in this release. I know there was talk about it, but I don't know if they they ended up putting it in this release, but that's definitely something that they have been looking into. For sure um
1: well you so, know brian i think is waiting to three's company four a crowd so i'm gonna jump off here and go back behind and do my my producing and <laughs> let you guys talk to brian for a little while sounds good justice. not this brian
0: we have a much more exciting brian lined up today oh yeah Jose, who's our who's All our special brian's guest? With
1: eyes brian's with eyes are way better Brian's with eyes are
2: way better, and today we have Brian Connor from Epicor, who has graciously uh, agreed to speak to us about Kinetic, Kinetic UX, and all the designs and, and things that Epicor is working on. So the journey, how we got here. Um, I think we, you know, hopefully we're going to get uh, to pick his brain a little bit and understand a little bit better their approach to this whole entire thing. So let's jump over there, have a conversation with Brian, Brian, and then we'll come back and wrap it up. Brian Connor from Epicor, Director of Product Engineering for the UX Platform, who's been at Epicor for just a little while, about 20 years, and he's agreed to have a conversation with us. And 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 he's been heavily involved in the Kinetic project. He's uh, uh, pretty much been in charge of it for for quite a while. So it would be great to have a conversation. Part with him. of it. <laughs> Part of but it. Yes, yeah, right. You. Sorry. Hey, Sorry. You, you know, don't you don't want to be blamed for everything. I understand. Uh, but,
3: well, right. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's the deal right now, right? So. That's There's right. credit, and then we also have some bugs I have to fix. So.
0: <laughs> the bugs are not yours. We understand. There's somebody else's. That's
3: correct. All the good features are mine. All the
0: bugs. Well, welcome no, to no, our no, humble no, little show that we're trying to put together. Yeah, I'm,
2: I'm happy to be here. Thanks for. me. Yeah, thank me. you. We know you. We know you're super busy. So thank you for making the time. Um, The first thing I wanted to kind of get out of the way is, you know, we just saw the announcement that you guys are moving the classic cutoff uh, past 2024, which was obviously something that had us all worried about. So can you talk a little bit about what the plan looks like and and how that came about? Uh, Yeah, I can. Uh,
3: Now we're going to announce more specifics uh, with uh, next spring's uh, release. So we'll have like a little bit more detail, but the, the rough cut of it that we're announcing now is basically that, um, well, well, let me put it this way. So we, we know everyone has to get over the hump on two things. They have to get over the hump on, uh, migrations of customizations, which is, a, a small for some people and massive for other people, depending on how deeply you've gone into the customization system. And then you also have to get over the hump on, uh, you know, retraining users, getting them used to working in a, you know, browser environment. We've changed the experience significantly. Uh, in many ways. And uh, and so there's those two kind of, uh, you know, parallel tracks, right, the end user experience track that has to be good enough and the migrations uh, track that has to be uh, good enough. And, and both of those just need time. Um, so what we've been hearing from customers is particularly on track on the, well, I don't know which one was one or two, but the customization migration track, um, that is significant work for some customers. And so we decided that uh, well, what we're actually asking you to do, right, is your business is running, you're trying to sort of change out and upgrade it uh, while it's driving down the road, and uh, maybe you know maybe you'd rather be driving down a gentle hill than uh, towards a cliff, so to speak. So uh, so the the intent is basically to uh, replace the sort of everything goes at once plan with a progressive phase out plan. Um, which, uh, which will be easier for people to, uh, you know, find the right time and have enough time to do what they need to do to get, to get past that hump. So like I said, we'll have like more specifics about what that actually means coming in the, in, um, in the spring. Um, but, uh, but we're not going to uh, do anything without a, a full year's, uh, advance notice uh, as well. So we'll be giving like one year's advance notice to anything that's phasing out. Um, and we'll be starting to give a little bit more info about that in, in the spring. Um, so, I mean, that's the basics. Uh, any questions? <laughs> oh, no, that I'm sounds sorry, great. One other, there's one other thing I, I wanted to say, which is that our strategy is a little bit more focused now on customer success metrics than a specific time frame, right? So, okay. you know, uh, so now, you know, we're a little bit more focused on, okay, well, in order to phase things out, first we have to, you know, Get certain numbers of people to the right place, pass the customizations, and, and you know, and give ourselves like a little bit more of a feedback loop on, um, on the process you all are going through to, to get there.
2: Okay, yeah, that makes sense, and that that makes me feel a lot better. Like you know, we started uh, upgrading their their upgrade process. Um, we've been in contact about that, and you know, it, it is definitely had been you know that having that that kind of looming date has definitely been. Uh, <laughs> a, bit of, a bit of a stressor, I got to say. So I'm, I'm glad I, you guys chose to... I would kinda... say
3: that's how we motivated ourselves to get through the migration, yeah. right? So we put a calendar date on the wall and said, we're going to get through you know, the complete transformation of all these UIs by that date. Um, but maybe that's not exactly the right strategy for everybody else, right? So I yeah. think um, that's kind of what we came to was just hearing a lot of feedback and you know, in real world use cases where, okay, that's going to take some time right? And it's not about something's broken or anything like that. It's just, it's just going to take time. It's it's work that has to be done and people have to schedule it into their business cycles and and so on. So we wanted to just be a little more cognizant of that, work a little closer with people, take more feedback as we go. And because we're also now in the cycle of kind of continuous refinement of it, right? We've gone through this massive transformation of the UIs. Um, and, And, you know, I think. A lot of people say, oh, it's been several years, right? It's pretty fast considering the scale of the system, actually, in, in my view. And um, so now we're returning to everything and saying, okay, how do we make each of these pieces better and more usable? Where is Where are users getting tripped up understanding it? Um, right? Like we find ourselves in a lot of conversations, for, for example, like, um, you know, we have the, the whole landing page navigation, different tree navigation, different crumb bar navigation. A lot of users we found haven't noticed that the crumb bar is even there and that you can do record flipping through it. So they're doing this very inefficient, annoying path purely because of education and not knowing it's there. And so it just takes, that's a perfect little example. It's like a little thing, but you have to get people over the hump understanding it seeing it. And most people, once they see us do it, go, oh, okay. Well, I just, it's like a tiny thing off the top I didn't notice basically. Um, so that's kind of where all that education uh, stuff comes in as well.
2: Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. I mean, you, you know, you talked about the scope of the scope of the the change, right? You guys are basically redoing the entire user facing side of of the ERP um, and and all the rest of the the surrounding you know uh, software too. Um, so can you uh, go back a little bit now that now that the product is is more, you know a little more mature on on the ui side and you guys have had a chance to really kind of dig in dig your heels in can you can you walk us a little bit more uh, from a from an architectural standpoint how does how does it compare to the classic interface and do you guys plan on doing parity with the classic interface or is it more of a complete rewrite and less, yes, we'll give you as many features as we can from the classic interface, but we're really looking at this as a new product from from a Very much
3: not a, not a rewrite. So um, yeah, let me back up a little ways. So that basically, um, so our journey started started 10 years ago, actually. <laughs> so maybe that's further back in time than you were thinking. But, you know, we started with, we need to be browser based this is where saas products are going that's where we want to be and we want to give you all the benefits of those kind of products like not having to install things and manage upgrades of things and all of those things that just naturally come from browser-based software um so we started with our initial approach which was um very very optimistic <laughs> so so uh, you know, so we built a transpiler, right, that transpiled the screens into a running web app with the technology of the time. And um, I can recall I had I had just come into the ERP side of the business out of retail, and um, I was just right there right at the beginning of when we were investigating how to do that. And I was like, this is bonkers. You guys are very confident. I look good for you. <laughs> you know, I, I was impressed because, you know, it was just a very hard project to do and take on. Um, but at the end of the day, that transpile was not never going to get you to a hundred percent. Like it was, you know, it's a, it's a kind of problem where there's indefinite little edges because you're trying to take one language, turn it to another language is very different, very different environment. And we ran into stuff that was like, well, you can't make modal dialogues work the same way in code in JavaScript versus and, and like and like a little problem like that would turn into like actually this is a huge amount of work because so you have to rewrite the entire system to be async in this special way where a C sharp Winforms program just works completely different, right? You could you like in C sharp Winforms you can be like show modal and it pauses the execution of that thread right there. You do that in JavaScript, nope, <laughs> it keeps going, right? So it was like little things like that that sort of compounded for us to say, you know, what we really, what we really wanted to do was stop and do it in a more holistic, ground up way to say what would the architecture be like on the front end if we started with modern web technology, and that's where, you know, where we wanted to be. A benefit that we have is um, the kinetic system, ERP system at the time was. Uh, so well done in terms of separation of concerns that it was like most of the logic was already on the back end, right where it should be. It was very cleanly separated. The team had already kind of gone through some transformation coming out of progress um, that had forced them to like figure those things out early. So when we came to this a couple of years ago and said, "Okay, let's let's reapproach this. Let's do it," you know, as well as can be done for a, like a brand new web app. We had a big benefit there in that you know we weren't rewriting uh the logic of most screens because the logic of most screens is the business logic anyway is separated to the back end now that's not 100 percent right there was logic we moved some of it to the back end we rewrote some of it in app studio um but uh you know but we were lucky to have kind of that very well thought out architecture in place already before we approach the project, I think it would be dramatically more difficult. Um, and, uh, you know, we run into a lot more problems. I think if, uh, you know, if we'd had to also be like massively rejiggering the way the, the logic worked, but we, we didn't have to do that. We're, we're really, and we're now actually in a really good position because we have this sort of metadata framework that allows us to transform it to other experiences if we want to, right? If the Browser, let's say in 10 years, if the browser not the target, we have a metadata descriptor of UI that can turn into another target um, in a way that, that we didn't in the, in the past. I'm not sure if I answered any of your questions, Jose. So, you
2: did. No, you <laughs> did. Dialogue, you did. It I'm was, sorry. It was a little bit about architecture and a little bit about what the approach was to. So, yeah, so on,
3: uh, let's see. So, on architecture, okay, so if we want to talk about how it actually works and so I talked a little bit about the server separation architecture that was something that was just kind of already in place um for the web though we had to rethink how UIs are built in the javascript world right or in our case the typescript world but you know same difference same runtime um you know javascripts are very different from uh from back I, I have a lot of experience with that but internally we had a lot of people who were much more accustomed to c-sharp static typing, you know, all of those things. And, um, you know, when we would hit these things where there were disconnects, like, what do you mean it doesn't stop the thread when I, when I run a show modal? Like, it doesn't. It's completely async. It's one thread. And if you take too long, the browser will be like, hey, this is, uh, I think this site's no good. You should probably kill it, right? It's just a completely different sort of uh, runtime environment. It's a lot of different memory constraints as well. So we did have to dramatically rethink how UI pieces actually function, and how data comes down and moves up. Um, uh, but you know the, the pros of that are that we can now sort of pivot a little bit towards more modern ways of doing things, like taking advantage of async ASIC is good, right? Like making everything um, you know promise based is good. It helps you um, you know smooth out the reactiveness of your UI. It helps you. Um, you know, uh, keep the UI interactive and rich while you're working. Whereas if you like go back and look at like a WinForms classic, um, well, there's a lot of times where it it appears to freeze, right? It is doing something (laughs) that was intentional. We give you a little spinner, but it's kind of, you know, I, when I first came to that product, I was like, this product freezes up all the time. That was my initial impression of it because it was doing that because just the way that the front end was architected to use sort of single threaded but the ability of windows to just let you lock for a little while it doesn't break anything that you that browser you you know the browser will just shoot your application and that's the end of it right like it just tells the user hey this is no good which you know it's not good if your application is telling the user hey you should probably kill this application because yeah. it's, it's not well written right like that's basically what that message says so you know, uh, so we got to kind of rethink that. And then, you know, on top of all of that, so we already had, there's a long journey to get to this because we already had the Epicor mobile framework, which we had built on Angular, um, which was initially for building small mobile applications and other new web applications, but we didn't really have it in mind as like the center of the universe for all future UI, which, and that's kind of where we're at now. Um, So that thing evolved from this mobile framework, which was Pile Angular components that were reusable with our style uh, and and some Cordova compile stuff for building mobile apps uh, into the Kinetic framework on Modern Angular, which then we extended with all these other modules to do fancy stuff all the way until we added the the MetaFX App Studio module, which is what we've really been focusing on the last couple of years. and, uh, yeah, the, like there's a lot of moving parts there in meta effects. I could talk about that for a long time if you want <laughs> but you know, that that's probably the biggest challenge of everything. Right. So like just getting it to run and like translate to the web is a big deal. We had to shift a lot of people's minds up, but then you guys have to take it apart and change the way it works and moving into SAS model more and moving into the browser environment where it's, it's just less forgiving, um, both in terms of memory constraint and in terms of performance and in terms of you know uh, lockups and things like that that the, you know the browser is not um, gonna permit you to do and then also moving into sort of like universal access where we, you know the benefit of the browser is you escape the Windows world right like you can run it on a Mac you can run it on Linux you can run it on your iPhone um, but that comes with all these other constraints as well for performance and, and so on. So um, so having that, that was I mean, so that was a huge challenge for us, but we already kind of solved a lot of those problems building the basic apps that were hand-coded, right? Like data discovery, for example, this is where I kind of came into it. Um, I was building the BI systems at the time we were building the new uh, you know, dashboarding tool, data discovery. We built it on the EMF framework while we built the EMF framework. And we also built some other things like Mold CRM. Um, so we kind of proved out all, like a lot of the hard stuff that we needed to understand and and uh, educated the business uh, about the technology. And then later we were able to kind of leverage that to get into the, the meta effects world where we had to really think hard about well, what's customization mean you know, on the web? What's even safe to let somebody do compared, compared to like on-prem local software? And what can you just not do at all, right? Like, well, I can't let you write to the disk, right? And it's not because I don't want you to write to the disk, it's because Chrome doesn't want you to write to the disk, and you definitely don't want Chrome to let you do that, <laughs> to let us do that, because if I can do it, you know, so can sketchy websites all over the internet, right? And so that that's been there's been a lot a lot of challenges there. And then you know, obviously, there's a lot of other tech and architecture that goes into the layers and all that stuff, which, if you want to, I'll get into. So
0: Brian, no, I, usually, great. I usually ask the super technical questions during these shows. <laughs> um so from a from a non-technical perspective, sure um, let's let's throw one out there. Um, some benefits of using the web browser versus a smart client. Do you have any new benefits coming out that we haven't seen yet? Uh,
3: Yeah. So, well, so long-term, I think you're going to see, and we're already starting to pivot to this, um, you know, significant performance improvements in the browser over the, the win forms. And the reason for that is not purely the browser. The reason for that is that the browser kind of forces us to build things differently and think a lot harder about the data flow. Like for example, Um, you know, something we didn't do in the old UI that we do do in the new UI is progressive loading, right? Where we're, you know, projecting you part of the data into the UI, but we're not actually loading it all down for you. And, and so we're only kind of at the beginning of being able to take advantage of those things because first we did transform everything and we did some new things like landing pages that didn't exist before using that technology. Um, but now we're going back to like tune that into a a much faster and finer experience and and there's other areas of the software that might get that capability to to remove like places where you really actually needed all the data down and then we did some processing at the front end um so there's there will be (laughs) ultimately performance benefits other things obviously you don't have to install it um here is the url you are set up like that is a massive benefit and why most of these pieces of software started moving this way in the first place. Um, uh, The responsive uh, device access is also a big deal. So you'll see us over time do more responsive tuning to the UI so that more parts of the UI are uh, flexible and usable on like tablet devices and other things like that. And just, you know, escaping the windows trajectory. So like something we've talked about a lot internally, for example, is you know there's many sites where having a real real computer um is not necessarily the most secure thing uh right so like well i install stuff on your windows pc and i can do all sorts of malarkey right (laughs) like my software can do all sorts of stuff but the browser is heavily sandboxed and secure right so like we it's very hard to get out of that sandbox if you do Google awards you a big bug bounty, right? So, um, so there are big security benefits to, to moving that way because you can also then, so first of all, our software is sandboxed away from your local environments. Um, the only punch we have to that is the edge agent that's there to give us a couple of special things. But now we have this like very limited surface area where we can do lots of security testing and care to make sure that we're not exposing something. And, um, Versus, well, the whole software is the the surface area of of a regular Windows app. Um, And then, you know, I kind of lost my thread there. But, like, you you could go down to to another level and you could say, well, at my site, you know, we're just going to run, you know, Chromebooks. You You can't install anything. There's no install all you can do is access the browser thing it's there's no there's no place for us to go or for somebody who's injected something to go uh to do anything on your local network and like those are the kind of things that you know the browser brings it's the you know i really think it's, it's funny but a lot of people think of like it's just this environment where i don't have to install it i always think about the sandboxing which is like very robust because it had to be in the face of you know the internet <laughs> right uh it has to be extremely good. it's got like you know the best security researchers in the world work on that stuff and continually and you know and still still there's uh, problems, right but they patch them fast and uh, you know it's just
2: a much more secure environment for the future yeah Thanks that makes that. uh that makes perfect sense i mean the the browser is where everybody else has gone to uh, that's you know you have to you have to keep up with everybody else or or you're left behind and so i think it was long overdue so i'm, I'm glad you guys yeah,
3: there's a little bit of, i mean there's a little bit of that too it's sort of it's sort of now baseline expectation for right. certainly anything that you get SaaS, right actually we had this for a long time you know uh i've seen this conversation play out a lot of times uh in the, with customers with prospects and even internally where people are like so the web one is the sas version and the old one like, no, actually, no, there's there's hosted software. You can still install something and talk to it, but it's just not, that's not what people, that's not where your mind goes, right? Yeah. You just assume that it's going to be web-based um, just because it is, you know, as a service, because as a service is supposed to help you also kind of take away all those installation uh, headaches and so on, but you still have a client to install, they're not quite gone, right? A lot of it's gone, but not everything.
0: The, uh, being device agnostic and, and not having to install anything in sandbox in the browser sounds great. I mean, I, my you know, my former life was it director for quite a long time and with Epicor. Um, and so, you know, upgrades and dealing with all that patch management, all that stuff. It's, it's nice to just browser based using anything we've been testing it on iPhones works out. So it's a yeah, great path forward.
3: So much hassle of maintaining stuff as an IT organization that starts to dissipate when you get there it's not zero. And like, and in particular, like, you know, we're talking about highly tailored business software, right? So like, um, we have this conversation all the time as well, which is like, well, you still have to do work with that kind of software on an upgrade. Like there's still, you know, you have to test your customizations and be confident that they work and all these things. So that's why we have this, still this big kind of heavier cycle than, uh, you know, gmail right there's a new version of gmail it simply arrives and like if uh if they really want to preview it in advance it arrives as a preview button for a little while and then it arrives but you never you never have to like go look through and make sure your email still works but like with business software it's a completely different game right like you have to think much much more deeply about all the testing and what it means to somebody to actually have the software shifted on them and like how that plays into their business cycle and stuff. So um, even, you know, so we're, we're kind of trying to head that trajectory where it's easier and easier and easier. Um, and I think while well, you'll see some stuff from us in the future on the customization front that will uh, attempt, attempt to continue to reduce the costs and time of, of doing that kind of stuff. So like studio in particular, uh, the meta engine, the way we built the layers is all around like, keep it running, right? Like even if there's a little conflict, try to keep it running um, as opposed to just explode. Here's a compiler error, good luck, you know, updating your customization. We're, I, I wouldn't say we're there yet, um, but you know, there's a lot of other stuff that we're working on to try and like continue to like ease that developer experience and that upgrade experience. Um, so that, that's a big focus for us. Actually, that's why I'm wearing my, uh, Steve Bomber
1: developers
3: <laughs> t-shirt today, because I thought maybe it'd be a fun time to talk about how developer experience versus user experience.
2: So you mentioned the edge agent a little while back. Is that part of the future plans or is it, is it just a holdover while no. classic is here?
3: Edge agent is part of the future plans. Um, however, it's always gonna be kind of as limited as we as we can make it because for that security reason, right? So we don't actually, we don't want you to have to have it to run most of the software. There are a couple of features that are just not possible without a local network punch, but these are mostly things that are cared about by you know historic customers. So the two things, you know, there's only two things it does today, right? It enables us to get to your printers to directly print so that you don't have to click print. If you don't have it, but, but we also of course have like other service side set up for on prem that can do that without the edge agent. Um, uh, and, and then the second thing that it does is it gets, it gets us the ability to do the client attachment features where we're not actually uploading them anywhere. We're pinning them to some place that's on your internal network or your local system. So people use like a, uh, that. This is a big deal for companies that have, you know, very large attachments, like like think, you know, hundreds, thousands of very large CAD files that they don't actually want to ship around over the network. You know, it can be very expensive at the kind of scale that those things can reach, um, or just take a lot of time to move them around. Uh, And so a lot of businesses that do that have, you know, it's it's local network attached uh, storage, as opposed to uh, something that is actually pushed to the cloud. And then, so we have that option or we, we you know, we, we had that option for many years where it's attached, but actually we're just pinning a pointer to where it is on your network. Right. But of course, if the browser could do that, you would be extremely unhappy at what websites did to your local network, right? Same thing if it could print, you know, pop-up ads would have found their way over to your printer <laughs> <laughs> as well. And, you know, and we'd all be very upset about that. So so the edge agent is there to provide those specific types of things. There, there are other types of things that are relevant where you have to get into the edge, uh, to do something that's, that's local, but, uh, but it's not going to be the prime focus, right? The prime focus is get stuff up into the cloud where it's easy for all the cloud services to work with. Um, uh, but, but even so, there's always this local network, and there's always something yeah. there that you need. so uh, so I, I think the edge agents uh, here to stay. And in fact, uh, you know we we will probably expend it with a few other features over time. but right now, it's only there to kind of provide the things that were impossible to keep from classic any other way.
2: That makes sense. Um, did uh, so one of the things that we are constantly, Getting hammered on when when we have introduced kinetic to some of our users through some testing and things like that, is uh, you know the the we have you probably heard this on the forum and stuff like that. But we we run like six or eight different instances of Epicor at all times for development for this for that or the other, and we have different styles so that to make it easier to figure out where you are right. And in the classic version, you can you can style your your client however you want. Uh, which is a lot of flexibility. Obviously, that isn't as easy to do in in the kinetic version. Are there plans to allow us to do, you know, styling, theming type of things so, on so the client side? So we have side?
3: resisted that, but let me tell you a little bit about why. So, okay. um, so you just listed the one reason that everyone says that they want it, which is I need to loudly distinguish my environments, right? Yeah. Is there a second reason? Branding, branding. Okay, so internal branding, though, right?
2: Like internal branding. Yeah.
3: Kind of app office software and and so on. So um so the reason that we haven't done it is that we are providing a usability like WCAG tested, uh you know, new experience where like it's accessibility tested, it's contrast tested. There's a lot that goes into that. Um and so in in terms of just Um, you know, functionality need, the main thing that we hear that we do think, well, this is a real use case that matters is I need to be able to distinguish my environments loudly from each other. So I don't accidentally do something in the wrong place start doing something in the wrong place and be like, okay, let me go start over in the other environment. Right. (laughs) Um, So, so when we got to the the new UI, um, we decided, okay, well, let's take that as a specific discrete feature. I think we didn't make it loud enough. That's the feedback that we're hearing from people. So we, we put the kind of badging at the top, right? You can control the colors for those for site and plant. You can also name your instance with like a friendly name. So it says pilot instead of being like a URL. Um, but they're really tiny, right? So uh, I do think we're probably gonna revisit that to make something that is more tunable and louder. But at the moment, we don't have any plan to like let you completely take apart the UI in the way you could with like infragistics in, in
2: the right. class
3: UI where you could, you know, no offense to all of our uh, nancy designers out there, but make <laughs> it into an unreadable mess. <laughs> so, but you know, uh, we do understand that we understand a little bit of the desire to have a little bit of branding. Right. So there was a while where we had like uh, like logo that you could put on the home and stuff. And then it found its way out into like kind of the, sidebar, it's still there, but it's not just there all the time in a loud way, um, mainly because our design team felt like it, we were giving too much real estate to it and we have so much stuff to fit onto the screen. But um, but that that is something that does keep coming up. So I do think we're going to do something else about it. But I don't know that it's going to be like, okay, let's let them go nuts no, completely. Now when we get into other uses of the UX platform for other things like e commerce, well, then, then it's a completely different discussion, sure. right? Because, you know, you talk about um, like configurators built with the new UI. Well, that's completely different. You're going to put on an e-commerce site. It actually, like, there's a way, way more important need for it to be brand fit and so on. And like the tools we're building also, you know, uh, while they're mostly used on Kinetic, App Studio specifically, the rest of the UX platform is not. It's used on many other Epicore products and, uh, you know. So we have to think about those things as well, uh, for you know other product lines that have t- different use cases. You know, front store shop use cases are completely different uh, kind of case. E-commerce use cases are a completely different kind of case. Um, the one theme I do think you will see us do, uh, which we have been discussing, um, but we haven't actually put out there, is like a, you know a more explicit sort of uh, like vision impairment um, improvement. Uh, so like we have. We have done contrast testing, but if you are, you know, highly vision impaired, um, you know, you really need that. That's another like, from my perspective, that's like a real, a real need that like you can't live without. You can't read it, <laughs> right? Yep. Um, you know, and there's, there's, you know, lots of, uh, you know, we do a lot of the the work for WCAG right now, alt text and those sort of things, but it's not, it's not as good as it could be. Um, So that's something that we're looking at focusing a little bit more on as well. So there, there may be more theme options in the future. I would say like, I'm not going to shut the door on that. There are some legit business cases for it. There's some, I just want to make it shiny in my way uh, cases as well, which, you know, like those aren't necessarily bad, right? Like, you know, if you want to tailor it for your brand, for your inside your business, like, you know, I don't actually see anything wrong with that. It's more that it's just, it, it fights a little bit against our ability to make it usable and tune the experience over time, um, and we want to make sure that it's like an extremely usable product that's accessible and, uh, and and hits all of those marks. So that kind of it sets up a little bit of a conflict, right? Like, well, we yeah. want that, and we want to evolve it towards that over time more, you know, and at the same time, we want to let people. Do branding to a, to an extent, and particularly be able to distinguish their you know sites from each other. So, like for example, you know, big discussion <laughs> happening internally about that particular thing. Like, well, let's just let them you know at least put something much louder on the page that you just can't miss. A little badge is just small, right? But if you could, you know, for example, I'm not saying we're definitely going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Harbor. This healthy, is very healthy debate always, but you know, if you could tune the left bars color or the background page color a little bit in a way that wouldn't conflict with the contrast required to meet those standards, then you know there's other options beyond just you know if there's a middle ground beyond where we are now, which is we let you control color on this teeny tiny badge, or we let you you know change the fonts on stuff. Yeah. Which, you know, we would say, well, that's not strictly necessary. If you want to use, you know, Comic Sans, you know, you can do that on your own website. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, you know, we've chosen a proper for readability and localization needs and, and things like that.
2: Yeah, it makes sense. You want to have a balance there. You don't, you know, you don't want to make it. Like you said, I've, it's funny, you know, our users sometimes struggle with basic usability, but then you remote into their machine and they've managed to turn it into a rain, you know, into a rainforest. And I'm like, how? Huh? Yeah. You the can't hot enter hot a sales order, but, yeah. but you, you have a fully working <laughs> rainforest inside your Epic or ERP. Um, it's just, We'd, I don't understand. You know, some
3: people just, they need to express themselves and I understand that need.
0: <laughs> during our so, initial training, no, during no, our... Just-
3: for that if you like the hot dog stand make it you know make make your cube the hot dog stand it's great
0: brian as we're rolling this out to our users with five or six hundred users right And we're going office by office and rolling this out and during the training sessions we tell them hey there's you know there's a settings button on that home page there and there's not much in there for you just stay out of there what they all find is the is the theming button right and so there's there's some terrible themes in there, right? This, like that old neon black and yellow green thing, that's terrible <laughs> and really hard on your eyes. Somebody needed it at some point. But we tell them, unless you need to change any of that stuff, don't go in there and start playing around because we find out you had enough time to play with that and not do your Epicore homework assignments. We're not going to come back and fix it for you. So fine, I yeah. come back don't and it's, it's,
3: it's... Put black on black text doing retheming yeah,
0: yeah. kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. Dark, dark,
3: dark theme for the system is one that keeps coming up internally as well, which we might do eventually. But like a formal, you know, formal yeah, yeah, theme. like a dark,
2: like a dark theme. That but would be nice for yeah. Thing
3: where like you end up with black on black text here and there. Yeah. And then, and then uh, it's like a, it's a critical bug. I can't read it. <laughs> right. But. Every place you make that mistake throughout the entire system. We do actually also have a lot of automation coming in to try and help us, you know, catch those kind of things. Um, you know, because it is challenging to do that, to do that stuff well, and never make that kind of contrast mistake anywhere.
1: Right.
3: Especially as you get into, you know, inverted schemes like that. Like App Studio is a little bit of a challenge because it's got dark mode panels. You know, right. we've had style issues with it, which I'm sure you all have seen over time, where there's something that's hard to, just too hard to read.
2: Yeah. I think I think even just outside of the colors and things like that one of the things that I that I really wish and I've heard this from a couple of users is had the the ability to to change the the density on the screen. Um uh, more than the theme, so, right? Um, just compact view versus Yeah, that
3: yeah. that that yeah. So that is something um this is an interesting uh, item to talk about because uh enterprise user experience versus Com, you know, consumer application user experience, right? So, uh, and maybe not even enterprise user experience, but like professional work surface user experience. So if you look at something like Photoshop, right? It's ultra dense, if you look at something, AutoCAD, it's ultra dense, right? There's a zillion things in there that, you know, and but they've evolved, but, but they're great user interfaces, right? Like these are best in class user interfaces for the kind of thing they do. Right. Where, you know, it has to be dense because designing things in AutoCAD is a dense process. Right. Like there, you know, and, uh, you know, so they have things like, you know, type to find command because there's just too many commands to put on nice, friendly, condensed menus and things like that. And so um, uh, we are definitely going to be reactive to the commentary uh, that uh, it, as we've gone to the new UI, we've gone to like maybe a little bit too close to the consumer level density, and a little too far away from the enterprise level density that you require to fit just more information on screen together. What we would have said, you know, earlier is that well, we we actually kind of just pivoted everything, where before it was sort of, um, you know, labels were here, controls were here, everything's sort of like horizontal. We made things a little taller and more vertical. And then we have to put more stuff side by side to take advantage of the space in the same way. But there's also like, well, the grid is actually a little bit more margins on it, right? Uh, Per per row. The controls actually do have a little bit more margins and spacing on them per row. Um, Feels nice, but when you really are just trying to get a lot of uh, dense stuff on the screen, like for, like, a, like a really good example is like ultra dense configurators, right? So, uh, you know, the, the wall of text boxes. <laughs> um, but those are not necessarily, you know, bad user experiences, even though to a, you know, designer might have a little shock and awe when they see one of these things that's just like a matrix of drop downs. But the, the users who use those muscle memory of exactly where everything is and you just watch them at home depot like right (laughs) and they just they nail everything because it's right there and they didn't have to navigate away to get anything so um so you know all that said so that's my perspective and it's been a healthy debate internally as well um uh but i you know we definitely are going to be um doing some density changes that stuff's coming in 2023.1 the first first attack at density changes that's primarily going to be in the grid um and we are discussing maybe some other broader density changes in terms of like like what what jose just suggested which is you know like the gmail like option which is like we'll make it comfortable or make it ultra dense based on your preferences uh you know and and you know also like there's all this other stuff that plays into that like your monitor dpi and like what you know scale and all these all these things where like Um, you know, we're doing a little bit more testing as we roll those things out across other kind of devices and also kind of seeing how people use it, right? So, like, I have two 4K monitors here that are, like, (laughs) large, right? And, you know, many of our users are still running something pretty small, and then they might also have the density cranked way up. So sometimes when we do get onto a user system, we're like, oh, yeah, no, it's pretty bad here. You need to, you need Lower that DPI because our thing is huge on this small display with 150% scaling factor applied. Um, It's hard to control for all of those things or scale your UI to fit for all those things when someone's explicitly scaling everything up on their small display. Um, But you can give them a little bit of direct control, like you're suggesting, is one way. um, You know, we we looked at some other scale options to like rescale based on, uh, you know, get like. Current density of display, um, but I think we're probably going to go with the simplest solution, which is well, we, we just need to reduce some margins and uh, you know give you that option to just tell us you don't want all these margins on everything. The controls themselves are probably not going to get super small comparatively because the fonts on will get too small to read. But um, but in terms of like bringing things a little tighter together that that's going to happen. And there'll, there'll be some other layout options as well that are a little bit more for orienting things side by side to take advantage of the horizontal space we made that didn't use that much. Yeah. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I feel like you guys pivoted like you know, like you said, you were all horizontal, and then you pivoted way right, the other direction. Like, like, overcorrection almost.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, so uh,
2: like the whole tab thing, you guys got rid yes, of I all think our tabs. designers,
3: I think our designers, um, our first designer who came on board, first first director of design, not not uh, Chris, who's our current director of design, came on board and had just like this, you know, intense allergic reaction to tabs inside of tabs inside of tabs inside of tabs. Inside of tab. and he's not wrong. That's not good, right? But you do fit a lot of stuff without scrolling. You fit a lot of stuff into tabbing, right? And uh, you know, I in terms of like, should there not be tabs in the UI? Well, that's not a UI principle that anyone follows, right? Like, no tabs is not. That's tabs are fine, right? Fifteen levels of tabs, maybe not so much, <laughs> right? Um, so we swung one way, maybe a little, little harder than than we intended, and maybe a slight bounce back. And that's pretty typical with these kind of design transformations, right? Like you make a big change, then you go see how it plays out in the real world with users. You learn a little bit, and you go, okay, bounce back a little bit, right? It's kind of how it's like how every other version of Windows is horrendous, <laughs> right? right? Like. Windows 8, you're like, what? Wow, they really got creative. And then, you know, Windows 10, they cleaned up those things. And then it was like, oh, okay, I get where they were going with these things. They just took the hard edges off of it a little bit. And we're kind of, I, I I would like to think we didn't do as bad as Windows 8, but uh, we're (laughs) didn't do as bad as Windows 8, but. Uh, But now we're, you know, now we're in sort of that like, okay, let's just like bounce back a little bit, take the user feedback, give ourselves a few releases with that, be more reactive to what people are saying. Now that we have time to do it, like we've heard the density comment since day one, but actually making the density change safely without messing up the UI system uh, takes some time and we're still kind of in, you know, heavy UI transformation. And also we wanted to make sure that was the right thing to do because... Uh, you know, when we jump jump too quickly on a couple of users, particularly if it's like, oh, I just don't care for this, right, then we just get the next set of users to go, well, I don't care for that, <laughs> right? So <laughs> so we don't want it to be just like, the worst thing we could do, right, is change the experience and then change it again and then change it again and then change it again in dramatic ways that are disruptive to you all. Because there's also just a measure of getting used to it and understanding where things are and how it works. So now we're, we're, we're being very selective and test oriented and interview oriented about how we go, you know, bring the next things in. Um, so there, there are more experience changes that we are discussing. Like the density one is one we've discussed for a long time and are now ready to action. Um, and then, uh, you know, we'll be heading down towards a, a few other ones that are, you know, common commentary that we hear from people Um, but that needed a design thinking approach to go iterate, figure out what's the right thing. That's not going to actually just take another set of users and have them say, well, okay, you just keep shifting the sands on me, right? Like that's not, even if it's better, if you do that too many times in a row, everyone just has an allergic reaction to it.
0: So Brian, we were talking earlier about, this is an opportunity to kind of tell the developer story and not the user story. You're the you know you're the director of the user interface right? So let me ask you a question. Um, what would you like users to understand about the design and development process of this user interface, um, or just Epicor in general?
3: Yeah, you know I I mean I I've kind of been peppering that in right. So like the I think people kind of felt maybe a little bit like we just like slammed out like this is what it is and it's done which is not our intention at all, right? Like we have to make a big change to come to the web. It's the right time for us to also say, okay, maybe we can escape 1990s UI as well, right? And put put a few more modern paradigms in there, make it easier to use, make it way easier to to personalize those kind of things. Um, But it's not, you know, it's not the end of the road, right? Like it's software, software evolves continuously you know, when you know, to say like there's a magical done point where the experience is just locked is, you know, not not our intention at all. Right. So like our intention was to get it out there, long time for previewing, long time to run both systems, take a lot of feedback, do this kind of bounce, you know, this like little bounce back and polishing cycle um to get it to the point of experience stability, like I'm not talking about bugs there, obviously, we have that to contend with as well with a big transformation. But, um, you know, experience stability in that we feel like we've hit the right level for most users, they're understanding it, they're able to get their jobs done in an efficient way. And then then we're into to more of like, minor annoyance polishing as opposed to like major shifts. So we like we read the feedback. We, you know, um, we, uh, we do, you know, cabs, we, we do even many times we do sprint demos with select sets of customers and things like that to kind of take continuous feedback to, to try and understand if we're heading in the right direction. I do think that like some of the way that it's come out has felt to, uh, users like, oh, this is it. Well, it's <laughs> not really right. Like, so, uh, like if I go back a year, right, we've gotten many things that come through, like support, for example, where, you know, we've got like cases coming in, like bug, this feature is not there. Well, we know <laughs> we're still building it. Right. <laughs> and, you know, so like the one thing that was actually kind of difficult for, for my team, uh, since we're in charge of like the platform aspects, the things that will show up on every screen, right. Like. Like open with menus when you right click on things or predictive search. Um, Well, we didn't do predictive search right away. We didn't even do open with right away. We didn't do multi window publish and subscribe right away. And we didn't intend to because we can't do it all in a six month release window. So we were phasing out the things that we needed, but we didn't do as good of a job, I think, as communicating that actually, you know, there's another release coming with more of that stuff and more of that. We're not just cutting things out. The intention is to get the functional parity. So I I know you guys had a question, uh, primed about parity, (laughs) which is, you (laughs) you know, we're not, we owe you all business functionality parity. You need to be able to do business and accomplish all the same things. We're not trying to accomplish them all in the exact same way right? There might be different ways that you do it. You know, we've changed some ways about like search personalization works a little bit differently, but we owe you the ability to accomplish all the stuff you could accomplish before. So, you know, we, (laughs) there's never any intention to be like, well, that feature is never coming. Right. But that was very much the impression with a lot of users. And, uh, you know, so we, we've, I think that's been a communications, um, improvement that we're trying to make is like, no, actually like it's all you have to have it all elsewise you know i don't see you upgrading off of the old thing if there's like a critical functionality you can't do your business without well <laughs> i guess we we have to do that right but um but you know so we were we were projecting very loudly like we're waving out these screens and then these screens and then these screens but underlying all those there's common functionality and we were also waving out packs of common functionality so the screens that were already out we're getting enhanced with more functionality it's not like we write predictive search in the sales order entry we write predictive search it appears everywhere when it's ready and so uh, you know there was like some misconceptions about that um, but i think the biggest the biggest uh, thing that i want to say is like we're very reactive uh, you know to feedback uh, we read it all um, we're here and open to hear that feedback. And I, you know, the the thing that you know bums me out the most is when somebody says like, well, I feel like it's a black hole, right? It doesn't get through, doesn't punch through. Um, and so, uh, you know, whenever those kind of things happen, we've also been taking a closer look at like, okay, how do we make sure that more more of that stuff punches through more loudly to us? Um, EPCOR ideas, for example, you know, I, I've heard, I, I've watched people on, you know. The message board would be like, well, you you just put stuff up there and maybe maybe they'll eventually do it. And a lot of things arrived there that were like, you know, features we were going to do because they are parody features that we have to do. Um, But they would arrive and, you know, we don't really want an epic idea like, idea, give me a feature that I already have (laughs) (laughs) back, please, right? Um, But, you know, many, many of them did show up that way because people were kind of getting that impression that, like, it wasn't coming because maybe we all as loud enough about the roadmap for those things. Now we're at the point where we're kind of just cleaning up uh, mistakes, like little experience edge misses, like 23.1 has like, there's a couple things missing in system monitor, for example, administrators care about them. They're not a huge deal to most users, but they're little misses that have to be uh, cleaned up to say, you know, with good confidence, like actually you can do everything that you can do. Because that's not 100% true in that one UI. There's a couple things in attachments in the same way um, that we're cleaning up. But that's that's kind of the, the intent. Um, and, and last last on reactiveness, uh, you know, like this last release, we did a lot of the top Epicore ideas. A lot of the things that you saw come out on like the or will see come out on the user experience front right out of Epicor Ideas. So we are reading that stuff, reacting to it, and closing those things. So that's a great place to, uh, to let us know uh, what you need.
2: Yeah, I saw there's one. There's my favorite one in there. It's not necessarily a kinetic enhancement, but it was uh, the ability to copy subqueries on a BAQ. We've only been asking for that for like 15 years. <laughs> yes! Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty awesome. Uh, No, that's really good to hear, Brian, because I agree. I think that there was, you know, at least maybe not intentional, but there was a lot of, you know, communication that that wasn't clear. And and I know I've had some users on the forum and, you know, it's just my user base that, that have looked at it and I'm like, well, but I can't do a lot of the stuff that I could do over here. Is this ready to go? And then, you know, we have, we're kind of, well, we, yeah, I mean, it's live, like it's ready, but they are still enhancing it, you know, and it's one of those conversations that are kind of hard to have and say we can replace the screen with this other screen that's not quite there yet um right right. and yeah that's been been a tough sell
3: big transformation journeys are hard and they're hard on everybody and there's there's almost no clean way to do it right you just at some level there's going to be stuff like that that happens where you go well okay that wasn't quite good enough we need to we need to take another pass at it um and 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 i think on you know on all aspects communications included right like our ability to perfectly project when we were going to hit and get out every one of those framework features and every one of those screens exactly is not you know perfection right so we have to be you know uh what our our focus anyway is to be agile about it and just say like look okay just keep iterating on it eventually you know you're going to polish out all of the edges and complaints and things and that's also why you know, we're giving a lot of time to come through the transition as well, right? So, you know, nothing's gone away, right? You can keep doing business. If it is not good enough for you, you're going to tell us, I hope, and we're going to react to that until it is. And that's, you know, that's kind of our thinking is, you know, is that, you know, we just have to keep iterating on it. You know, at some point you have to get into the, um, the grind of the project where you have to polish off all the edges. And that's kind of where we are now
2: awesome that's great all right so we this has been pretty serious so far so so let me ask you a, a, a more interesting just like a techie gig question here is there anything out there that you've seen recently whether it's coming in the future for epic or just in general that's kind of you know got you excited about where where this entire thing is headed uh,
3: you know, machine learning is probably the most surprising maybe not surprising but you no know, it's surprising so like machine learning actually works now yeah. Like in the last ten years, it started actually tipping over its tipping point and starting to actually solve problems that are like were intractable software problems. Like I'm still cont- you know, I have a Pixel phone, right? And Google's, you know, voice to text translation and the hardware on the device that makes it instantaneous is unbelievable. And ten years ago, it didn't work at all, right? Like. You know, you could get, like, the your best option was, you know, Dragon, naturally speaking, or something like that, where, like, they tried really hard, but it was just never anywhere near what the technology, like, felt like suddenly became. And it was, you know, a, it's one of those inflection points that you hit in a technology where, like, the hardware has come along far enough that the idea finally works. Really, right? Because like they, they hit a scale point with it. Like, a lot of those... ML model techniques have been around forever. You could just couldn't do it at the kind of scale you can do now. Um, you know, with like farms of highly performant GPUs or TPUs, right? And so now we're suddenly seeing these amazing things, like the fact that um, Stable Diffusion was not only oh, sorry, sorry, if anybody doesn't know what Stable Diffusion is, it's okay. <laughs> it's a, a text to image generation um, uh, 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 model built from uh, Thousands of image and text analysis, based for millions, really, uh, right? So you feed huge amounts of pictures and metadata tags about those pictures, uh, you know, into. Uh, I don't actually know how you know what technique they use specifically to build it, but it spat out a runnable model, which is like it's like four gigabytes, right? And You can just describe stuff that you would like it to draw, and it draws amazingly photorealistic, very surprisingly accurate things. Um, And not only that, but it's an amazing image compressor, like better than any image compressor that's ever been built. Um, You know, you could put it head to head against like things that have been intensely tuned, like PNG. And because it has, and no one, you know, and because it's an ML model, right? Like exactly, exactly how those millions of uh, weights work uh, is hard to actually understand as a human being. That's the danger with those things too. They're they're hard to explain and understand, you know. And they may do surprising things, um, you know. But there's been many kind of uh, sudden feeling, but not really sudden, right? Like I mean, uh, like neural nets is a technology, it was like, it's in papers from before I was born, now it works, and it produces stuff like stable diffusion, but, um, you know, it's, you know, always those things are like, you know, no success, oh, you know, instant overnight success after like the secret 20 years of work, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> with thousands of people, you know, banging their heads against it until it, you know, suddenly seems to start working, but, uh, so that uh, that's something that I'm actually really excited about. Um, There's all sorts of, um, you know, well, let's just say we're just at the very beginning of it working. So, you know, who knows what solve problems we're going to solve next, but like you look at some, like another example, like another amazing example is alpha fold, right? Um, All right. So protein folding, I am not a biologist. The protein folding is a very super difficult problem in in biology like predicting the order of folds that a, a protein comes to life in um okay so i obviously have no idea what i'm talking about there but like it's been an intractable <laughs> i'm a software engineer <laughs> so it's been a, but it's been an intractable problem for forever you know there was uh, i don't know if anybody remembers the folding at home project there's just there's been like huge attempts at predicting the structures of those things and it just takes Immense amounts of time to figure it out. And now they have, now there's an AI model that is fairly good at predicting uh, and has predicted all of these potential protein folding models that people are now, you know, biologists are now going looking and seeing if they're real and finding real ones out of it, which so it's like an acceleration of the research um, that's come out of it. So there's, I think there's just zillions of problems like that that were, you know, essentially had no other solve that are starting to be solved. Um, it's not magic. It's not, you know, you can't just I mean I, that you get into a funny space where people just sort of they want to, like, sprinkle that over everything and be like, well, this is AI enabled, blah, blah, that's that ain't how it works. Right. And it takes a tremendous amount of technical expertise. It takes a tremendous amount of data, time, cost. <laughs> And, and heaps of GPUs and TPUs to actually do those sort of things, but we're starting to see those problems get solved. And I think there's a huge amount of potential um, to apply that to the types of things that we do um, as well, right? Like, I mean, just think about how many, like, sort of API integrations that we do and things like that. They just have these huge services that are being talked to all the time, and... We run into errors, difficulty translating stuff from one to another. There's all sorts of problems like that that you might, you know, start to solve with those sort of tools, but, you know, time will tell. Awesome. So I, that's, that's the thing that I think that's really blown me away in the last 10 years, really, like,
2: yeah. So what I'm yeah. hearing is that soon I'm going to be able to ask App Studio what I want, and it's going to write the customization for me. Right. That's well, that's what know, we're talking about.
3: I've seen Copilot. You've seen Copilot.
2: Right. I have seen Copilot. Oh, I love it. Yeah. It's great. So
3: you know those those kind of concepts are no longer the realm of science fiction.
2: Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was a
3: ludicrous suggestion ten years ago that I would describe. But what Copilot does, right? It's a scrape of like most things on GitHub, most code on GitHub, and they'll, you know, they have a model where you can describe in a comment kind of what you want your little code snippet to do, and it attempts to spit you out code that does it. And it kind of works, <laughs> like
2: it works like, really well. Yeah. yeah, it
3: works. Like well, <laughs> you know, it ain't perfect, but it's it spits out functional uh, code for lots and lots of things. Sometimes it spits out. People's copywriting code, which wasn't really <laughs> great for them, but <laughs> famously, you can get it to spit out parts of the Doom source code.
2: Nice. Uh,
3: uh, with the, with just the right prompts, including like the salty comments left by uh, John Romero or whoever.
2: Um, <laughs>
1: so,
3: <laughs> um, but you, but those sort of tools are there if you you know have the expertise and time to put into it, you can start to develop models that actually do do things like that. Right. So tech, text of functional event in App Studio is not an impossibility. Whereas 10 years ago I would have just laughed at you and said, Yeah, well, you know, that's yeah, not like with a lot that. Of ideas that like your neighbor gives you when they hear that you program for a living. They go, I got this idea. If you could only solve and then they name something completely impossible technical problem. And it's true. If you could only solve the, you know, whatever was impossible, you you would in fact be a billionaire. But it's impossible. <laughs> like, but, you know, it's, it's sort of things are coming into the realm of reality now, um, that just, you know, there was no, there's no other way known to solve something like text, voice transcription in a deep way. Um, you know, now there is.
2: Yeah, it's crazy how quickly things move. Hey, man, thank you so much for your time, Brian. We really appreciate you talking with us. This has been fun. We'll hope to get you back uh, later on when we have more things to talk about. I'm sure we'll have yeah, plenty to cover. Um, but thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll keep we'll keep on plugging on that Kinetic UI, man. We we'll keep pushing for you.
3: <laughs> bring me feedback. I
2: That's right. Yeah, it. yeah. We'll we'll definitely give you feedback. You know that we're not shy about that. Just you know, hang out on the forum. <laughs> Good to see you, man. Right. Thanks again,
0: Brian. Right. Thank Appreciate you it. Much.
2: You know, a lot of people may not may not necessarily be familiar with Brian directly. You know, he's usually at Insights and that's where we've gotten to know him uh, quite a bit. And we've talked to him quite a bit, but, you know, Brian's really been integral in, in this entire Kinetic process. You know, he's he's kind of taken ownership of that entire platform. Um, so it's good to hear him talk about how they do listen to us and they do are constantly looking at that feedback and making those changes, I think. Um, you know, hopefully that will that will provide some reassurance to some of the users and some of the concerns they're having out there that, you know, they think, oh, our feedback just goes into a black hole. That is not true. Um, it goes directly to them. They look at it all the time. Um, and I think that that's that's really important.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes on the forum, people might feel like we just drink the Epicor Kool-Aid a little bit too much, but it's really we're a little bit closer to the sausage making. We yeah. know the things they're talking about. And that they are listening and they understand their shortcomings, which was nice to hear Brian express that, you know, we understand maybe we weren't the best at communicating the roadmap or making it as transparent as it could have been. They they know that, they are listening. Definitely some of the stuff that came out in this release were things in ideas that are new to the product, not just yep. you know, parody type things like he had said. That they know they know that open with didn't work kind of stuff
2: yeah i mean the, you know the just just you know like i was talking about earlier my favorite feature the the, the ability to copy sub queries that was an epicor ideas that was put into epicor ideas and it got done right mm-hmm. and so they are listening to the feedback um so it's good to know that you know even at the level he's at you know they're directly involved in these decisions they're listening and they're they're improving the product and you know they have a, their own development cycles it takes time right you know we write software for our smaller you know footprint and we can turn around and do something in a week but they're having to you know support hundreds thousands of users uh across multiple enterprises across multiple systems it takes a it takes time it takes time to write the code and to, it takes time to get those ideas and what you know what josh may like is not what i may like and so they have to kind of get all that feedback and try and figure out a balance you know like he was talking about the the styling and the changing of the theme you know some of us want to make it pink and purple and rainbow cookies but it doesn't really work for everybody, so you have to be balanced on that. So I think it was a really good interview, and, and I'm really glad that, that we were able to get him and, and talk to him about it. So hopefully that provides some some reassurance for
0: everybody out there that Epicor does care about us. Yeah, we've heard from other product owners like Shoei, Tim Schumaker, yeah. mm-hmm. sorry, um, and we've heard from him about how they use the Ideas Portal to collect information and review it. And that's, yeah, it's good. Um, hey, it's a better process than they used to have, so I'm I'm happy that they're, they're tracking that and listening to everyone.
2: It is. It is. And the mm-hmm. fact that they're willing to come into this, you know, talk to us, talk to the community directly, participate in the forum. You know, Brian's in the forum. He was just answering questions today uh, that we posted out there. So, you know, they are out there and they're paying attention. So, keep providing your feedback. Keep it constructive, and I think that, you know, in the end, it, we're going to end up with a better product.
1: What do you What do you tell me when I get angry peas with honey?
2: That's right, peas with honey.
1: <laughs> when I get mad about web, bees with honey. <laughs> leave whip
2: alone you got a new whip enhancement this this turnaround yeah, and
1: you gotta be quiet
0: of for problems. a couple of weeks is this like
1: a leave okay. Brittany alone <laughs> leave that's whip right. alone <laughs> leave whip
0: alone quit your complaining they fixed it for you that's right that's All right. right well we went, and, we went an hour and
2: we went an hour change with brian and so i don't want to really drag this along anymore it's hard enough to keep people's attention for so long plus we're not as interesting as he is anyway so <laughs> i'll see you guys next time
0: thank you later we're on a mission. We should.